Man, I appreciate this crowd on a cold, wet day. Uh, it's amazing. I figured 10 people. So, uh, Ben, I appreciate you being here. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians beginning in chapter 8. We've arrived there. Uh, let me do a little house cleaning. When you're a pastor, you generally swing between two things that guide the content of your message both the passion for the subject and the wisdom to enunciate the subject. And I think last week my passion may have exceeded my wisdom in that I got a little more graphic than I should have been in regard to something that I'm extremely passionate about, and that is the killing of innocent life in our land. So let me just make that statement and let you know I understand that. And don't go home and say, you must have gotten 100 emails. No, I really didn't. I felt that way when I left, so it's my own house cleaning in regard to that, now we come to two chapters in 2 Corinthians that is the opposite. I have no passion for it all. These next two chapters, ushers, lock the doors. These next two chapters are on money. I hate preaching on money. If you've been here a long time, you understand that about me. I've been here 30 years. I may have preached in total 10 sermons on money. They've always come in response to some sort of fundraiser. Uh, and whenever we do a fundraiser, every single fundraiser that has ever come in and said, hey, you got to preach four Sundays. I've never done that because I hate preaching on money. I know what it looks like to the outside. I, I, matter of fact, if you'll go home today and Google, this is my favorite ever brain-dead moment. If you go home and Google Jesse DePlantis and Ken Copeland and praying on an airplane. These two guys, who are the kind that make us look bad when we ask for money, they're out there begging the people to give money so the gospel can go out. They actually argue that they cannot pray on a commercial airplane. That they've got to have their, not exaggerating, $65 million jets because they can't pray on a commercial plane. Hmm. Just Google that because that is what makes us look bad, and it's why I have no passion about preaching about money. I hate it. And inevitably, except twice, both here and at my former church, the one time somebody would have a visitor and say, you know, Brother Chris never preaches on money. Bring him here, boom, there's the sermon. I've had him call me and go, man, I had my friend come, told him he never preached on money. Look what you did. So, to be clear here, we're going to be on money a couple of weeks. So bear that in mind. We're going to look at the first seven verses today. These verses will be somewhat painful. We're going to have to work through them. To understand them, you're going to have to know the background of the text. They know it. You don't know it. But when you read the Scripture... He's talking about, in the context of these two chapters, an offering that he's been taking up for probably about 10 years. It's mentioned twice here, these two chapters. It's mentioned in the book of Acts, and he alludes to it in the book of Romans. He has sent Titus out as his prime fundraiser, who has gone to all these different churches, and he's asked them for money for this particular situation. When the church first started in Jerusalem, remember 3,000 people say most of them dis 
dispatched. But a number of them stay in Jerusalem and they build a church. Jesus' half-brother, James, becomes the pastor there. He wrote the book of James in our Bible. This church, because of the way it happened, is experiencing hostility, obviously, from the Jewish community. If you walk down the Via Della Rosa, it's really just a road of shops, and it takes you out of town. Now, in these road of shops, obviously, different people selling scarves, clothing, food, all sorts of different things. But as the Jews walked through and buying, if there's a Christian shop, they don't go there. Can't. Because these Christians are immediately excommunicated from the synagogue. And if you have something to do with these guys, you're excommunicated from the synagogue. So they can't buy. So the church is incredibly poor, which is why you have that weird little place in the book of Acts, remember, where everybody bought all the possessions, laid them at the feet, because this church has literally no income. Paul, visionary, gets out. He's obviously been in Jerusalem. He's traveling across the Gentile Empire. And he realizes, you know what we ought to do is take up an offering. Two reasons. And he's taking up the offering among the Gentile churches that he's been preaching to. And he's taking up the offering for two reasons. Number one, to offset the damage that the Jerusalem church feels. But the second thing is because the Jews and Gentiles just don't get along. So if the Gentiles give a massive offering to help the Jewish Christians through this time, then maybe that'll help offset some of the difficulty. So Paul's gone. He sent Titus all over the churches he's been to, Macedonia and Achaia, particularly here, to raise money. Now, you notice how when we talk about money, it gets real quiet. We'll be asking for your credit cards at the end of this service. Now, (laughs) kidding, no, I am. Now listen to what he says. We're going to walk through this, and again, It's going to be a little stingy. It's not my problem. Here's what it says. We make known to you, brothers, the grace of God which was given among the churches in Macedonia. Now, when he talks here about the grace of God and inside these verses, he's not talking about your salvation. He's talking about the dispensation of the grace of God in that God gave them the ability to give money. Now, that's what he's going to talk about inside these verses. When he talks about the churches in Macedonia, we basically know of three in the New Testament. Corinth is in Achaia, which is a province below Macedonia. In Macedonia are Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Now, there's no letter to the Bereans, but we obviously have three letters, two to the Thessalonians, one to the Philippians, inside our canon of Scripture. Those churches, particularly those three, obviously, he's talking about that they... God's grace came in them in this offering. But watch what he says about them. Because in great... Now I'm going to read you straight out of the Greek, as literal as I can. Because in a great testing of tribulation... Now we don't know what that is. We don't know that Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, said... People have talked about the persecution you've gone under and how the word has come into you and people have talked about your reception of it and its impact all the way to Achaia, where Corinth is. So they knew whatever happened. But somehow these churches have gone through immense persecution. Something horrible happened. Now watch this. But there is the abundance of their joy 
They had tremendous joy. He even makes that statement in the letter to the Thessalonians. Now, here's the hard one. Here's literally the Greek. And the, according to depth, absolute poverty of them. Now, the two Greek words in the New Testament for poor. Panes, which is used when you're poor, but you can pretty much pay your bills. And tokaya, which means you're begging. Greek word here is tokaya. He says, they were under immense trial. Great joy. But literally, in the Greek, the colloquialism for us would be, they are dirt poor. They have no money. They are experiencing the same thing the Jerusalem church is experiencing. They are totally and completely poverty-stricken. Now watch. But it abounded into the riches of their generosity. So they have no money. They're going on their trial. But the combination of trial, no money, and joy made them generous. Now listen. Because according to ability, I'm telling you, even beyond their ability, they gave freely. With great exhortation, they begged us for the, to be a part of this grace and to minister, to be a partner of the ministry to the saints. Now listen to what he just said. He said, the churches in Macedonia, they're in trial. They have no money. They're rich in joy. We did not send anybody to ask them for money. That's why he says they, with enthusiasm, begged us to give. They never, he never sent Titus to these churches because he knew they were poor. He knew they were going through trial, and he thought, let's not make any other burdens on them. We'll go to Corinth because you're not going through trial, and you have obviously an inordinate amount of money. These churches, though, have nothing. He didn't send Titus to them. They, though, called Paul up and said, we want to be a part. And he says they gave, now listen, he says they gave generously. How do you give generously when you have no money? And he says they asked to be able to give, and they gave beyond what they had. That is a staggering picture. He didn't ask them, they asked him. They don't have any money, they gave beyond their money. They're in the middle of a trial and dirt poor, and they gave. How in the world do you do that? Now listen, all the way through. Verse 5. And not like we hoped or expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us through the will of God. So that we encourage Titus. Now here we go. Listen to what he said. He says, they centered themselves in Jesus, and as a result of that made the call to us. Because of God's will. They felt it was God's will for them to give. Even though they didn't have anything, they felt they needed to. They called us. We didn't send anybody to them. They've given beyond their ability. Here it is. Why? Because they gave themselves first. Jesus Christ was paramount in their life. 
Now, watch. Because now he comes to Corinth. So we encouraged Titus that what he began there, he'd also complete with you in this grace. Indeed, you abound in all things, faith, word, knowledge, all zeal, and the love we have which is in you, that also in this act of grace you might abound. Now, here's what he does. Following. We got these churches in Macedonia. They're in trial. They're broke. They called us. They were generous. They gave outside of their ability. The reason they did that is because Jesus Christ was number one in their life. He was in their heart more important than their money. Then he says, so we got Titus on the phone. And we encouraged him to come back to you because you have money. And you're not going through the trial they're going through. If they can give, you can give. So we encouraged Titus to go back to you and to finish what he started. Obviously, Titus has been into Corinth, asked for money, and they gave for a little while, but they've gone on the slack. They quit giving. So he said, we encourage Titus to come back to you. Now listen to what he says, okay? Because I'm going to apply, apply this in a moment. Just listen. He says, so we encourage Titus to come to you because you're not giving. And you need to kick it back in gear. Now here's what he says, though. Listen. He says, now I don't want you to misunderstand. You're not bad people. You're not bad Christians. You're not horrible. You're great in your knowledge. You're great in your zeal. You're great in your love. You abound in all these things. It's not that you're some sorry bunch of people because you've cut down on the money giving. It's not that you're sorry. He said, I just want you to understand, if they can give because of their relationship to Jesus out of nothing, you can give out of your relationship to Jesus when you have more. Simple little truth. And so he says, I'm not saying you're bad. You've got a lot of great gifts. You're a lot of great people. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not attacking you, not beating you up, saying you're a bunch of sorry Christians. What I am saying is, in this area, it's time to kick it up. If they can give the way they give, you can give out of your abundance. If Jesus is one in your life. So. Let me just... When the Bible talks about giving, it has two categories only. Both are continued in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Jesus alludes to both. Tithe, offering. The tithe is not an option for you. The offering is. You give under the offering according to the Holy Spirit. This is an offering. But the tithe is not your option. And yet, 
the stats are out. Every church. Every denomination. Less than 20% of the members tithe. We're bad people, no. You cannot tithe and not be bad. That's exactly what he's allowing for here. But I think part of the problem is what I would call, this is my best description for it, what I would call the discovery moment. I grew up hearing the stories of J.C. Penney. If you're in Texas, you heard about R.G. Letourneau. But J.C. Penney was this very well, obviously made millions of dollars. And he lived off 10% and tithe 90%. And his statement was, his statement was, my tithing, God has blessed my business from, so I'm giving him back 90% and I'll live off 10%. Now let me just clear the air. It ain't happening here. Okay. But when you hear that, and then you assume that, and he's going to allude, as a matter of fact, one of the scriptures these guys use on TV, we're going to come to it a couple Sundays. He's going to say, to the degree you give is to the degree God blesses you, but that is not always necessarily financially. As a matter of fact, it's probably not for most of you. If I ask today, in this room, how many of you, believe that your tithing has increased your business, there would be a number of hands that would go up across. I have friends in this church who will tell you, who have told me, I tithed off my business, and God has exponentially blessed my business, and I believe it's because I tithed. And there are a number of people whose hands would go up. But for most of us, it's not what happens. Remember when Peg and I were first in seminary, both working part-time, both going to school. So we didn't have any money but we were tithing and so my assumption was because I'd heard all these J.C. Penney stories hey man if I tithe we're going to have all sorts of money come in no no we had nothing we got down literally a couple times not often but a couple times literally bread and pork and beans I remember we got down one of those times the neighbors came in and brought us a couple sacks of groceries I had no idea they knew we would said nothing but so God does take care of you we never got a check for $10,000. We didn't get a new car because we tithe. And for most of you, tithing will not result in financial remuneration. It will result in financial sacrifice. Your lifestyle may have to shrink some if you tithe. That's why a lot of us don't. We have a lifestyle. We're American Christians. We have a lifestyle. Certain place we want to live, certain cars we want to drive, everything. And so we don't tithe because we tithe. That lifestyle is going to decline. So what he would say to you is, not you're a bad Christian, not that you're a sorry person, not that you're evil, but that in fact in this one arena, your lifestyle is more important to you than your savings. because the mandate is on you. I know that's hard. 
But again, he says, it's not because you're bad. And we all have different arenas where Jesus is paramount, and then we all have some arenas where we kind of hold him down. But for some of you, it's the lifestyle that carries a little more weight in your heart than Jesus does. And he would say, that's the problem. Now, let me say something here. That is between you and Jesus Christ, not between you and the person sitting next to you in this church. Charles Spurgeon was an iconic preacher in the late 19th century, died about 1880, somewhere around there. But he was a tremendous preacher in England. And so he got a call one day from a guy, and he said, listen, got a little rural church out here. They, man, they, they're struggling. They need to pay off their debt. We want you to come out and preach and help them pay off their debt. So then the guy said in the letter, you can stay at one of my three homes. I got a home here in the country. I got a home in town. I got a home here. You can take whichever one you want to stay at. Stay there. I'll take care of you. Spurgeon wrote him back, and I don't think this is right. Spurgeon wrote him back, and he said, I'll tell you what you do. Take one of your homes, sell it, and you pay the debt. You see, I, that's a great sermon illustration, some guilt popper, but I don't think that's right. I don't think I have the right to say to you what is okay for you to have and not to have. Your size home is between you and Jesus. What you drive is between you and Jesus. Whether or not you tithe is between you and Jesus. He doesn't handle the money the same for everybody. There are two, there's one chapter apart between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to the rich young ruler and says, listen, buddy, got to have it all. The four camels, got to have it all. Zacchaeus gets saved. Jesus says nothing to him about money. Zacchaeus said, look, I'll give half of what I have to the poor, and whoever I've ripped off, I'll give them four times back what I ripped off from them. But he obviously still kept money. Jesus demanded nothing from him. I can't tell you, and nobody else has a right to tell you, what you drive, where you live, what you wear, all those kind of things. That's not what this is about. What this is about is in your own life, where you are, and what you choose, between the demands of the Bible on your checkbook and your love for Jesus Christ. Say, preacher, that's pretty strong. But that's the text. Not my passion to preach on this. It won't be my passion for the next couple weeks. But it's in there. And one of the reasons I go verse by book verse by verse, book by book, is because it forces me to passage I wouldn't know to preach on. But here's the bottom line in this one. You got a church that had nothing. They gave beyond what they had because Jesus Christ was first. Yet another church that had all sorts of stuff, but they gave almost nothing because Jesus wasn't more important than their pocketbook. Didn't mean they were bad, didn't mean they were evil, didn't mean they were sorry. All he says is, is in this arena, you fix it. So, I want you to do something. 
And the staff and I are going to be here at the front in a minute. If you want to pray with us, we'll be glad to pray with you. But I want you to go home. Open up your checkbook. And say to the Holy Spirit, show me what you want from me out of this book. Because I want Jesus to be Lord even in my money. And that would be what he would say. Let's pray. Father, we are, in a sense, similar to Corinth, we are an affluent society. Are there some single moms in here and others that they, they struggle? Father, there are others of us in this room that don't. All I ask is that you bring us in this church under a place where your son is more important than our lifestyle. Drive that in us today. In Jesus' name. And it's in his name because we owe everything to him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You need to pray today. Staff and I are here. You need to become a part of this fellowship. We want you to do that. If you've never met Christ, so this has no bearing on your life, today be the day to do that. So as the Holy Spirit speaks to you this morning, you come.